0: Thank you. Transmitting from the mountainous area of Florida at 108 feet, I am your host, Alpha Mike, and you are listening to episode 143, the Prime Minister. We are going to continue in our Wise Guys series. Last month, we featured Don Vito. This is a continuation of that podcast which was episode 140. And so, as I said, these podcasts for the remainder of the year are basically telling you it's a story ongoing in the Wise Guy series and it's painting a picture of the LCN in New York City and uh, Costa Nostra all around America. So we're going to continue doing that. And today, we have a tremendously uh, large show, a lot of information. So we're not going to waste any time. Okay, so how do I get in contact with Radar Cop Podcast? Well, you simply go to com. There you can connect with us through social networking or just become a member of the website itself. Uh we have various platforms, you know, the Facebook, the Instagram, Twitter, and, um, and they're all on there, so you can reach out and contact us. Uh, we want an engaged audience, and uh, we also are preparing for 2021 with Raider Cop Tube, and that's going to feature my co-host my little buddy by the name of Milo. He's currently under training, so you can revisit his page at Instagram, uh, A Day with Milo, M-I-L-O. And there you can see pictures of what this little co-host of mine is. He's a character, I can tell you that. So, what do we got on the agenda for 143. Well, we, we're going to be talking about the Prime Minister, and as I said, we continue our Wise Guys series. So, a lot of people want to know, well, why do we continue these series? Some people have even mentioned, well, isn't it a little contradictional uh, based on what your platform is, and you're talking about this. And the answer is no. It, it's not a contradiction. We talk about crime. We talk about law enforcement issues, whether in jails or out on the field with police, but we have to talk about those that are committing the crimes as well. No any there's no major organization like the American LCN or Mafia that has produced more money and has created more crime and their sophistication is one to be studied. But you really can't study anything if you don't know their past. It's kind of difficult to understand what the future might look like without that information. So we're constantly we're moving the clock from the beginning. Again, our our date is always going to be 1931 because that's the year that the commission was made. So that's the official foundation of La Costa Nostra in America. Prior to that, they were just gangs. We'll call them that. Organization was uh, a little bit uh, lacking. It was just, you know, you're in charge today and you're gone tomorrow. And then the next guy came in. But uh, the commission changed that and those rules in 1931. So that's always going to be our focal point. So what I want to discuss is what our current status is with the Wise Guys series. We're currently looking at the Bonanno, Colombo, and Gambino, Genovese, Lucchese, Philadelphia Mob, and eventually the Outfit, which is in Chicago. Now, these were groups that were very powerful. Probably the height of their power was in the 40s and 50s and started to disseminate in the late 60s. And then the needle just kept on going down from there. But the height of their power is not really understood. Kind of loses in translations, but they had built a mechanism that was so powerful people often ask this one question not in its entirety but let's say a family right let's pick out of the New York City mafia families let's say the Colombo family because it's the smallest and probably the one that is somewhat on life support, we'll say. They're a boss of more than 39 years. Carmine Persico recently passed away. And this family in its original uh, form from 31 with Perfaci has not really had a lot of bosses in its entirety of its, of its history. So is a long-term boss of 20, 30, and 40 years what they need to go forward? But who's going to lead them into the, the new world that we live in today? So when we look at that, some people say, well, they're not going to survive. Some people also look at the Banano family, which has had problems with undercover opera, FBI operators, operations, as well as the the huge amount of members dealing in narcotics and drugs. But I'm here to tell you that neither one of these five families will ever disappear. Why? Because it's the way the commission is the balance. It is the weight that keeps everything steady. It is built on five families. It will stay on five families. The name of those families may change. But it will always be a remnants of whatever is there now. You know, they, they might just bring a new boss and uh, we're going to call it, uh, you know, my name instead of what it is now. Uh, similar to what uh, Joe Massino wanted to do with the Banano family. Since the Bonanno family had such bad rap he wanted to rename it the Massino family. And, in fact, he even put out an edict that that's what he wanted. And other than the Banana guys calling it the Massino family, it, it didn't take off with the other four families. I think there was not a... Uh, it was never presented to the commission, and that's why it was never done. It wasn't a uh, very eager to do it a cause. And as history would tell us, a Joe Massino letter becomes a government witness against the mob. One of the uh, first time a boss uh, cooperated. So that would have been a terrible move, imagine that. Throw out the banana name, put Massino, then he becomes the, the first official government boss witness. <laughs> that would have been legendary. So these organizations are all go- always going to exist their names might change the characters are definitely going to change but they all have the same history so that i can tell you now i'm we're after this year we are going to start diving into philadelphia mob which is about 50 members maybe a little bit more And the outfit in Chicago, which a lot of people are under the assumption it's huge, it's big, it's got, you know, thousands of members. But May members is about 20 to 25. It's actually tiny compared to the metropolis that it's in. And it does have a seat on the commission. So the other question is, is the outfit ever going to disappear? And the answer is no, it's not. It's embedded in what... La Costa Nostra is in America today. And somebody will always be running these operations, point blank. There used to be 26 families. A lot of them are gone. But what you have today is probably going to stay in place. Maybe one, maybe two will disappear. Buffalo, or Kansas City or something like that. But you're, you're pretty much looking at Philadelphia and Chicago, New York, and of course, New Jersey with the Delavante family, they will uh, stay around as well. And uh, so I don't, I don't see any changes. So that's why we concentrate on. It. We're going to talk about its past. We're going to go into its uh, present, and then we're going to start uh, talking in the future about its future as. Uh, the world turns and it becomes a more difficult world for organized crime to commit crime. Cameras and modern technology have put a big hurt in organized crime. But my last point is, a lot of people say, well, you got the Russian mob and you've got uh, other ethnic groups out there that can easily take hold and become the dominant force in American uh, organized crime. And that is a falsehood also. Because the LCN, La Costa Nostra, has built a platform that any other organization that tries to lift that load will certainly feel the weight and they'll succumb to that weight. What am I talking about? Well, they have been very successful in infiltrating uh, labor organizations, other organizations, the stock market, uh, bribing political opponents, political parties. Uh, They've been very successful in obtaining law enforcement information and bribing law enforcement officials, judges, and so forth. Every year, it becomes more difficult for them to do so, but they know how to do it. And that's the point I'm trying to get over. And they've been, and I'm just going into modern history. 1931 is their start date, so they've been around way before then too. So they know what they're doing. They know how to infiltrate things, bribe people, hide who they are launder money, and so forth. Now, in these series, you're going to learn who they are. And somebody asked me recently, well, what do you mean by who they are? Well, uh, here's an example. There are three types of soldiers in La Costa Nostra. You have the enforcer that goes around enforcing whatever racket, they are in charge of and they muscle people and they basically make a living off that force then you've got the earners some families might have three four or five guys that are earners they're bringing in millions with that enterprise they're supporting a lot of the dead weight the enforcers are doing their role then you've got the third element which is the pocket pool segment I'm here because I'm here they used to be something but they're not something today and besides being around for shits and giggles they are dead weight they're anchors to a lot of crews and a lot of families but that's in any organized crime of uh, organization, you're going to have that. So that's an example of what we're trying to to talk about. All right. So I uh, also want to uh, talk about a new <laughs> podcast, which I am learning tremendous amount of information from. It's on YouTube, and it's Coffee with Colata Frank Colata and he was a member of the outfit and he was part of the movie Casino they portrayed him in the movie I think it was Joe Pesci portrayed him and uh, he's in his 80s now he walked away he testified against the outfit and uh, he has a testimony about that and uh, I kind of understand what he's coming from, similar to what Sammy Gravano said when he was his interview. You know, a lot of people called Sammy, he's a rat, he's a rat, he's a rat. But they never heard his side of the story in this last interview that he did on Voluntainment. He really spelt it out that his back was to the wall based on how. Gotti was going to present this case they were going to blame everything on him and he was going to end up doing life in prison and uh, either that's what he did or he ruled and uh, he felt that he had no other choice than to rule now I'm not stepping in his shoes but I'm saying that that's uh, a side of the story that nobody had really heard before so with uh, Coffee with Collada it is kind of uh, comical at times. Frank is a real down-to-earth person, and he tells it as he is. And an example of that is instead of saying, you know, subscribe to my channel, he, uh, it's genuine. He's not making this up. He kept, on, he kept on referring it to prescribe, prescribe, hit the button and prescribe. And then I guess about the, after a couple of series, they told him, hey, hey Frank, it's not prescribed, it's subscribe. So it stayed. It's, uh, it's part of the lingo of the, of the show. Great little show going on. And uh, he's, you know, he wears uh, oxygen. These are troubled times. So uh, he's got a, a, a good personality. Uh, uh, I listen to what he says and uh he's very genuine and uh so it's a good thing i i don't know much about the outfit and to me it's very confusing because they don't really follow the rules like new york as far as soldier capo, underboss, you know they have those positions but mostly on paper in reality they've they understand who's who and everybody else is kind of lost so uh, we're encouraging people to go to Frank's uh, YouTube uh, podcast or channel. And it's uh, Coffee with Colada. We're going to put a link on our show notes. And uh, we encourage you to, to go see uh, Uncle Frank. And he's, uh, he's, got a, he's got a lot of war stories. So like he says, go hit his page and uh, prescribe. I love the way he says that. Alright, so now we're gonna we're gonna take a, a minute and we're gonna prescribe to the word of the week. Proverbs sixteen three. Commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. Proverbs sixteen three. And we always remind the audience that you can get the full details in less than 15 minutes every Wednesday when these shows are uplifted, or whatever you want to call it, on um, our website, they There on the test, everything 1521 section, we will talk about this verse in less than 15 minutes, really giving you an expl- explanation how it can encourage your spiritual journey. So, uh, believe it or not, a lot of people that don't want to sit in sermons for hours and hours, they don't want to be preached to, but uh, they might listen to something 15 minutes or less. So, that's us every Wednesday on RadarCopNation.com. You can see it on the section that says test everything. Our episodes last 90 days. There's always one there. And then they're erased. But we know that the word of God never erased, never disappears. And it's just cementing the word for those right people at the right time that that word was meant for. We've got a lot on the agenda, my friends, and I don't want to waste any further time because uh, I did a little extra on the intro. But anyway, we'll make it up, and it's time to bring out the clowns, the buses, the horns, and get this circus on the road. (coughs) Episode 143, The Prime Minister. Today we're going to talk about one of the people that created this mafia family into its current status. That many in organized crime and in law enforcement circles consider this family the Ivy League of mafia in America very sophisticated very intelligent they have a way of confusing people on the who's who currently many other families around the country may be talking to certain bosses of this family thinking that that is the actual boss and they are a front boss but only those that need to know know who the powers are interesting and this sophistication came from the person we're going to talk about today Francisco Castiglia born January 26, 1891 in the region of uh, Calabria, Italy. He boarded his ship and headed towards America with his mother and his brother at the tender age of four. His father had already been in New York City. Once he arrived in America, his older brother was immediately tuned into the gang of The area. And in this area specifically is East Harlem, which became a large Italian American community during that time. Frank became attracted to the lifestyle of the gang by seeing it through the eyes of a young sibling. He was watching his older sibling, and he said, I can do that too. He proceeded to get involved in that. During this time, as he got older, a little bit older, Frank ditched his birth name and created Frank Costello to make it sound more Americanized. While growing up in this new gang world that he was in, in East Harlem, Frank was uh, no stranger to the jail sales and being arrested. He did time in 1908, 1912, and 1917. Frank eventually got married, but he didn't marry a traditional Italian woman. He had married a Jewish woman and then decided to move one up on the scale of gangs by joining A higher level gang. This gang was called the Morello Gang. Now, the Morello Gang will eventually turn into the family that we are talking about. The Morello Gang's boss was a guy by the name of Giuseppe the Claw, the Clutch Hand, Morello. Clutch, he had like a strange little finger or something. Many, many years later, that uh, the gang would eventually become the Genovese crime family. While a part of the Morello gang, Frank uh, became friends with other members that were a part of the Morello gang, and they're going to go into a career together. And one of those individuals was Charlie Luckett which, of course, created the commission in 1931. Frank, in the 1920s, would become very rich as a result to bootlegging. Now, during this time, Frank and Costello in his mob career, we'll say, from the time he got involved with the Morelos, he really never had a subordinate position. He was always at some helm or another in a leadership position. Why? Because talent, intelligence, um, gift, I don't know what to call it, but uh, he didn't take orders. He was mostly giving orders, and that was a virtue of who he was. A lot of the Sicilian mobsters did not really trust him very much which was common among Sicilians. And there were a lot of Sicilians and, of course, in organized crime. And uh, they would even tell Luciano, Charles, lucky Luciano, which was Sicilian, by the way, not to trust him because he was, what they called him, a dirty Calabrese. But uh, Luciano didn't buy that, what they were selling. He wasn't buying it. This is a new, at, at that time of that era, a new millennial group. And they're focused on making money, regardless who that individual is. They're not going to go down the way the old Mustache Pete's from the old country. If you weren't from their town and their block and all this other baloney, they weren't going to do business with you they weren't going to limit their ability to make money. Frank gets involved in bootlegging, and he's almost an entrepreneur on this on his own. Of course, the gang is getting a portion of it, but he has created this. I mean, he just took off with it. We're talking about the 1920s. He ends up making about $20 million in bootlegging. He was a famous bootlegger uh, associate that worked with Frank Costello. was Joe Kennedy, the president's father. And they were moving alcohol during the time of Prohibition in the 20s all over America. I know that there was a run from Tampa because there were bring the molasses and all that other stuff from the South. They're singing on up. They had roads and outlets that they would do this. So Costello was making a pretty big amount of money. 1925, Costello finally becomes a United States citizen. 1929 now, Frank was a part of a special meeting in Atlantic City. And this meeting was the spearhead of a lot of forward-thinking individuals and organized crime. Frank Costello being one of them, Luciano being another, Meyer Lansky being a huge influence as well, and one of Frank's mentors because he ends up being mentored. This is So here's a guy that's very intelligent, can kind of think quick on his feet, make a ton of money, and he's going to be mentored now by a guy by the name of Arnold the Brain Rothstein. And he was into gambling, bootlegging, shylarking, everything that there was, Jewish gangster. And these individuals were around prior to the Italian Mafia 1931's organization. So he's mentored by these individuals. They're very wealthy, very powerful. One of the things that Frank Costello learned from Rothstein was how to bribe, how to fix that in as your overhead It was a part of doing business where old Mustache Peach would see it as an insult. I'm not paying that guy anything. But Rothstein was an influence for Costello's mindset to make more money. So in 1929, they go to this special meeting in Atlantic City and they create the National Crime Syndicate. Now this syndicate dealt with all types of ethnicities of organized crime. It was all about making money, whether you were Irish, Jewish, Polish, it didn't matter. They were The commission was created, or the syndicate was created to avoid any conflicts in certain areas because now with this national crime syndicate, They're not just talking about New York City. They're talking about the entire United States. So if you wanted to set up shop, let's say, in Cleveland, Ohio, through the syndicate, they would make sure that they weren't stepping on anybody else's toes. So it was well-received in 1929. Nobody wanted to go... Uh, have gun battles in the middle of the street because you can't make money that way. So Frank was a part of that forward thinking as well as Luciano but there were others. And of course as I said earlier Meyer Lansky was one of the big ones Bugsy Siegel and even Vito Genovese was a part. But Genovese was very spectacle in dealing with anybody that was not Italian, And he had somewhat resentment. At one point, he made reference to Luciano about all these Jewish gangsters. What are you doing? And Costello basically told him, uh, what are you talking about? Be quiet. You're an immigrant yourself. And it was something that really burned that Genovese, really burned in, in, inside him. But we'll talk a little bit more about that as we move on. 19, uh, 1931, Frank is part of a killing of two major New York City bosses that are in a war together for control of organized crime. And this is prior to the commission now. And that is Joe the Boss Masseria and Salvatore Marzano. Now, these two are going at it. The remnants of the the, the individuals that are part of their families will end up being the element of the five families as we go forward in in this uh, part I'm talking about here. And... Frank is a part of this killing. First they kill uh, Mazaria in 31, and then they end up all transferring and working for Maranzano. Maranzano doesn't like the young Turks and wants to make, you know, uh, have them assassinated. But they weren't that dumb. They knew it was coming, so they basically used their national crime syndicate and they used... Uh, Jewish gangsters, and they uh, disguised themselves as IRS agents. They busted in through the front door of his office, and uh, his aide, Maranzano's aide, Thomas Lucchese, I'm sure you've heard of the Lucchese family, was also a part of the assassination of uh, Maranzano. And since Marizano did not recognize these so-called IRS agents, he thought it was legit and giving them ample time to uh, take out their guns and weapons and, and assassinate them. Once this was, these two deeds were done, it was fair and clear for Charlie Lucky to create the commission. Now remember the commission comes out of what happened in 1929 with the syndicate. So the Italians now organizing similar is an important an important step for the sanity of organized crime. And uh so Luciano and everybody uh, subscribed to it or like uh, our friend over at uh uh, Frank Colata a podcast is uh, prescribed they're all prescribed to it and and the reason for that is nobody wanted bloodshed there had been bloodshed going on for for years and you don't make money doing that so 1931 Luciano becomes the boss of the Luciano family under the new creation of the commission one of five families in New York City Frank was promoted and the Luciano family to the third spot, which is the consigliere. So you have the boss, the underboss, and the consigliere, which is the counselor to the boss. Uh, He also has a responsibility to deal with the membership and any complaints they may have. But in reality, it's part of the administration of that family. They get... A percentage of all the loot coming trickling straight up, they get an envelope, you know, just because they're part of it. So, again, Frank Costello never had a point that he was subordinate, he is at a leadership level from the word go, and that's a testimony of his abilities. So, uh, Luciano creates uh, the commission, he creates his family, he also breaks it down into other families, and we know the five families have somewhat changed their name. One of the originals was Bonanno, and, uh, and, and it's still Bonanno today, so that, that's an original. Uh, then the other ones changed, Provace became Colombo, and so forth. Uh, even in Gambino, it wasn't Gambino, and so we'll, we'll get into those stories when, when we feature those things. Uh, so Frank becomes a big earner. Now, we told you the difference between mob members. You have earners, enforcers, and deadbeats. He was an earner. He wasn't an enforcer. He wasn't a tough guy. Uh, just after he got married, he got, he got pinched for having a gun, possession of a firearm, and he had to do like a year of jail or something like that. And he was so outraged because it was slowing down his business and he had just gotten married. He swore he'd never wear a gun on his person ever again, he didn't. So he was not an enforcer. He was an earner. He knew how to make money. Frank had a saying, if I tell you it's a good deal, it's a good deal. That was the boldness of his negotiation ta- talents. Frank goes on uh, to be third in line of the Luciano family. But in uh, 1936, Frank, uh, being a big earning the Luciano, the boss, look at Luciano got arrested and sentenced in 1936 for running prostitution ring, which was more of a frame than anything else, but nevertheless, they really hammered him with a long sentence too. So Luciano now tries to run his family from prison. Now, it's not as sophisticated as it is today to get messages out and it was almost an impossibility. So it wasn't long before Luciano had to make a decision. I'm going to remain as boss in prison, but I'm going to need somebody to run the day-to-day operations, and we're going to call that individual an acting boss. But he didn't give the nod to his underboss, which was Vito Genovese. Vito Genovese, (laughs) when he was part of the Luciano family, was the underboss because he was the enforcer. He was the thug. And he instilled fear in people. That's why he was number two, for that sole purpose. Luciano now does not want to put him in the driver's seat as acting boss. He gives it to Frank Costello. Vito's not liking that idea one bit. But that's the way it rolled. In 1937, Vito Genovese himself ends up fleeing the Italy to avoid a murder charge. And uh, Vito heads out and hides out there. And this event basically promotes Frank to boss because now you don't have an underboss. Of course, they, you know, they're going to make an underboss, but Frank now is having more responsibility. 19- uh, that's in 1936. In 1937, Vito flees. And then he returns. Vito Genovese returns in 1944 from being on the lam. And he's deported back to America on an arrest warrant. The U.S. Army, remember, Second World War is going on. And Vito is real big in the black market. They arrest him. And they ship him back out to New York City to face this murder charge. As soon as uh, Vito goes, goes back in 1944-45, the case starts falling apart. And uh, basically, Vito Genovese is free and clear of any murder rap. And so Luciano had to make some decisions. And they, they made some real quick ones before Genovese got off the hook because while he was on the hook for possible murder, he took a low profile when he came back in 44. He wasn't going around saying, I want this, I want my old my old position back. He was uh, looking at murder charges. So he was hiding, laying low. He was under the radar. And as a result, Frank... Uh, Excuse me, Charlie Luciano is making some decisions and he puts up Frank now as the permanent boss because Luciano had gotten deported. His sentence was up. The U.S. uh, takes away citizenship and deports him back to Italy, making it more difficult for him now to run the family because, you know, one thing is do a two hour drive to the penitentiary visit him and relay message back and forth now he's across the globe there's no phones there's no iPhones there's no fast communications and you know it's, it's almost an impossibility so he gives the nod to Frank to be the permanent boss and he picks Charlie Luciano picks his cousin Willie Moretti to be the underboss and he was feared so this uh, guy, Willie Moretti, had the same reputation as Vito Genovese. He wasn't no push around Sally either. And the consulary was a guy that uh, Joe Valachi named, very mysterious, said he forgot his last name. He only knows him as Sandino. He was the consulary. And uh, his name was Sandino Pandofolo. And... Uh, Sandino really stood for Alessandro, but uh, the nickname was Sandino. And uh, so he had those positions. Everything's locked down. You I'm going to move out of my way because you want your own seat back. That's not the way that works. So Vito is a capo, is a captain, is a capo regime in the Luciano family. And his resentment, he wants to be boss. He believes that he's been fooled and bamboozled from his position as boss. So he starts waiting for a moment to make the move. Genovese is waiting for the right time. There's going to be some type of mistake, and then he's going to make that move. That that time came in 1951 when Costello was... uh, subpoenaed and had to testify in front of the U.S. Senate Committee on organized crime. Now, a lot of mobsters went to these Senate Committee hearings. They were subpoenaed, and all of them would sit there, and they would repeat it hundreds of times. I plead the Fifth Amendment on the grounds that my testimony might incriminate me. But Frank didn't want to do that. Frank thought about, well, I'm just going to be honest. I'm going to tell him what I'm going to tell him because he had so many judges and politicians in his pocket. He didn't think that was going anywhere. Well, after two or three days of that, Frank became irritated. And there's the famous, and we have that on the show notes, his interview where he says, uh, I'm not going to answer another question. I'm not under arrest, so I'm, I'm going to get up and I'm leaving. And then that's what he ends up doing. And uh, as, a res- as a result of that, that shed a lot of attention on him. And, he- and-, and all that was self-orchestrated by him. That's what Genovese was waiting for, the mistake. He made that mistake in 51, pissed off a whole lot of other bosses as a result. So a lot of people were saying, Costello's losing his marbles. And I think it was because of the huge amount of responsibility that he had. And he really didn't have Luciano now backing him up because he's in Italy. So uh, he starts making some stupid mistakes. Another opportunity comes uh, where Vito Genovese uh, takes the opportunity to murder or kill Willie Moretti where basically Moretti had ended up with syphilis in its uh, uh, ending stages. So he had some form of mental illness. He was rambling and looked like a rabid dog. He was just moving his lips. And they were afraid that he would start talking about Costa Nostra secrets to people that weren't members. And this was easily uh, manipulated by Genovese. As a result, the commission gave the okay to whack uh, Willie Moretti, and they did. And the underboss position became available. Ding! And guess who got it? That's right, the one and only Vito Genovese. He sat right up there in that in that seat. Now, as a result of that we got a lot to cover, and we're, we're running out of time here. Uh, the next opportunity, golden opportunity, Frank hangs on there, but now he's got Genovese's underpush right underneath him, just staring at him, making sure you're going to mess up and I'm going to be all over you. And that time comes in 1957 where Vito Genovese finally gets... A plan going and part of that plan uh, well let me backtrack. Nineteen fifty six is a powerful capo in the Luciano family by the name of Joe Adonis. He was feared as well and he was good friends with uh, Costello. He self deports himself to Italy because he was you know, we're gonna give you twenty five years or you can go to Italy. He said Where's the where's the where's the, the tickets? And he took off to Italy. But he left Costello more vulnerable than ever. 57, Vito uh, starts making plans to change things around. And one of those plans, he did it with Carlo Gambino. Now, there was another mob leader in Murder Incorporated, which was the syndicate half of the Mangano family. And Albert Anastasia was the underboss, which was feared. Now, as you could tell, there's like a little thing going. Bosses always got enforcers as underbosses. So it kind of give you an, an idea of how they did things. But Albert Anastasia was very close to Frank Costello, and Vito knew that he had to get rid of him. So he plotted with Carlo Gambino, that was part of the Mangano family, and he said, listen, Albert Anastasia had killed Mangano in 51 took over and then Gambino ended up being underboss. He goes, let's get rid of your boss, Anastasia. You take over the family, which he did. And he called it the Gambino family. Then you're on the commission and you give me the nod to whack Frank. And Lucchese ended up agreeing because he was very close to gambino the kids married uh, carlo gambino's son married little daughter so they were very close two different families so that's two people on the commission plus if genovese pulls what he's doing that's three so he's doing pretty good for and banana where they didn't have to worry about them too much and uh he can do what he wants so he uh dispatches Vito Genovese, dispatches his hitman, which is a guy by the name of Vincent the Chin Gigante. He's waiting in the lobby as Frank Costello exits his taxi to go to his apartment in the lobby. And as he enters, uh, Vincent the Chin comes out from the shadows, points a revolver at the back of his head and says, hey, Frank, and Frank turns around. That was a mistake he made. Instead of just shooting, he called his name and he turned his head. Said this one's for you, and he and he uh, pulled the trigger. The bullet ends up grazing his skull, goes to the hospital in the same cab that dropped him off. Uh, the chim flees the area, and uh, Costello's bandaged up and sent home. Obviously, at this point, Costello uh, knows that there's problems. Shortly after that, Albert Anastasia was whacked, and. Uh, Gambino Roden, that family he knows things are getting really really dim for him so when the trial came up for Vincent de Cingigante that had pulled the trigger Frank never did a formal okay I'm going to retire and I'm going to give, he didn't do that because he despised Genovese at this point so he didn't do it He he didn't feel like he had to it was beneath him so what he did was, he says, they'll know my actions by how I testify. And when they said, Who's, is it the man that shot you inside this courtroom? He said, no, I don't remember. I don't see nobody. And so the case basically fell apart, and as he was leaving the courthouse, uh, Vito Genovese, uh, I mean, not Vito, excuse me, Vincent de Gingegante basically tells Costello on the way out, thanks, Frank and extends his hand and Frank shakes it. So obviously Frank didn't rat. Um, that's in, uh, in the 57, 58. And Frank just stays on as an advisor retires. He's, um, you know, still part of the social elite of that love to deal with organized crime. So he just didn't disappear. But, uh, It didn't have much influence in the family any longer. A lot of capos were reaching out to him on a lot of things. And, uh, you know, he he is who he is, you know. You you can't put that, you can't throw that away. So uh, the chin's not uh, fingered by Costello. Vito uh, waits now. He wants to be... Chosen as boss of bosses as a result of what occurred, and he calls for a commission meeting. Now they just had a commission meeting. I think the year before in '56, and they don't—they don't—they only have these every five years. And back then it was 26 families gathering. Yeah, it was a huge undertaking, but Genevieve insisted he, because he wanted to crown himself as boss of the new Genovese family, and. That's what he did. He threw out the Luciano name and put his name. But uh, the meeting in Appalachia, New York, was a disaster where 60 mafiosos ended up getting arrested for socializing with known felons. And Vito Genovese is humiliated as a result of that. There's been speculation that was somebody dropped a dime and this and that. And names that have always come up are Carlo Gambino. And Joe Bonanno, they say, too, but uh, it was one of those two. They dropped a dime. And uh, Gambino is known as the old fox. He always manipulating other families for his own benefit. And so the family now is uh, no longer the Luciano family. It's the Genovese crime family. 59, Frank is charged with tax evasion. And uh, Genovese ends up going to jail as well, prison. And they both end up in the same penitentiary in Atlanta. This is not good. And uh, there was almost a real riot in the prison, forcing Vito Genovese to sit down with Frank Costello and have a sit down on how, the reins of the Genovese family were going to go down. Frank had the ability to make those negotiations. He was the dominant force in that sit-down. It was not Vito Genovese. It was Frank Costello because he had all the chips in his pocket. He basically gave them all to Vito. He gets out of prison two or three years later where basically Vito Genovese ends up for the rest of his life in prison and dies in prison. So Frank got the last laugh. Frank, uh, when he gets out, he becomes semi-retired. And uh, in February 1973, Frank Costello dies of natural causes. had a heart attack. Uh, Now, Frank was buried in New York City in 1974. This is how dramatic. He's dead already. The doors of the mausoleum where he's buried, a very beautiful mausoleum he's buried in, in a, in a cemetery in New York. The doors of that mausoleum were blown off in 1974 by orders of the Banano Crime Family Underbars, Carmine, the Cigar Galante. On his 20 year release from prison. Obviously, you think there was some bad blood there between Galante and Costello? I do. Here are the facts as we close this out. Frank ruled the Luciano family from 36, 1936 to 1957 as acting boss, and boss for 20, he was a boss for 21 years, plus third in command. And- or consularium from 31 to 36. Basically, he always had a leadership position. So what you can say about Frank Costello is this. He was the man that created the Ivory League. He was the man that created the tremendous machine that the Genovese family is today. And he is the man that basically was made with a golden spoon. Without him, none of, most of nothing, what they had would be in place. Costello dealt with the syndicate with Meyer Lansky where Vito Genovese um, shied away from it. So there is where the difference lies. We looked at, in Don Vito, we looked at the, the the life of Vito Genovese, now we're looking at the life of Frank Costello. As we continue in our Wise Guys series on Radical Cop Podcast, we are painting the picture towards the end of the year, putting all these characters, they're all interrelated, and they're all very powerful bosses in La Costa Nostra in New York. Song of the Week, we have changed out. We are now with Tom Jones, Green Green Grass of Home. Up next, the Law Enforcement Officers Safety Act. LACIA. L- so what's the problem? In episode 144, we're going to explain what this act is. Basically a law enforcement officer anywhere can travel with their weapon anywhere in the country. So if you're a little a police officer in a little municipality somewhere, you can carry your peace all in any of the 50 states. But are there problems with that? We're going to talk about that in episode 144. As always, it is my honor and my pleasure to be your host on Rated Cop Nation. Continue to pray for yourself because without you in the game, we have nothing. Continue to pray for your family, for your community, for your law enforcement agencies that serve you, and most importantly, continue to pray for the United States of America. This is out for Mike, and I'm out. 1322.